electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pot. Instacart's long-awaited IPO, early investor Alexis Ohanian on the many years to delivery. The value prop of Instacart got way more compelling once I had my first kid. And even now, with a one-month-old at home, the ability to be able to scroll through and say, hey, it's Tuesday, let's get tacos. The headwinds and the tailwinds ahead of the cart debut. This is a low-margin business, but built on software from the very start. And cyber attacks from Las Vegas to your laundry room. Security expert Kevin Mandia on the rise of cybercrime. This is a group that's been exceptionally active. They've compromised over 100 organizations in the last year. Plus, striking auto workers to target more plants with walkouts. And Elon Musk charging. To use X, how much is too much to tweet? On the money piece, it's almost just like any money would do it. I know. It's Tuesday, September 19th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And here we go, folks. Meanwhile, uh, let's get you updated on the auto worker strike. UAW President Sean Fain outlining the union's plan to expand strikes if a deal isn't reached. Here's what he said last night in a video that he posted on X. If we don't make serious progress by noon on Friday, September 22nd, more locals will be called on to stand up and join the strike. That will mark more than a week since our first members walked out. And that will mark more than a week of the big three failing to make progress in negotiations toward reaching a deal that does right by our members. Auto workers have waited long enough to make things right at the big three. We're not waiting around and we're not messing around. So noon, on Friday, September 22nd, is a new deadline. Meantime, yesterday on MSNBC, Fain said that the White House would have no role in brokering an agreement to end the strike. He said the battle is not about the president or the former president from President Trump's campaign, confirming yesterday that Trump's plan to vi- plans to visit Detroit next week to speak with current and former union members instead of attending the Republican primary debate, though he's, hmm. I'm not sure which side He's on. I think he's on the side that can help help his cause. I guess he's a populist, but a corporatist. I don't know. It's uh, thank you. So there was a UAW strike in 2019, which I don't remember very well. I remember that either. It must not have lasted very long. What's the longest? Thank you. What's the longest UAW strike? 114 days. It was back in 1940 something to 50. Says here seven years. Nineteen seven years. 1954. To 1961, a seven-year battle with the Kohler Corporation. Okay, I, I take that back. I, I read something yesterday. 54 to 55 was the longest. It was like 114 days. I don't know if this was the Kohler Corporation. I Maybe think it's, it's, with it's existing, a fine point, but uh, yeah, with existing. So there's 
like a couple weeks, and then there's seven years. We're and gonna, the seven years, and the, in and the company continue to with a, well with a company with that, this that particular no company makes automobiles. Yeah. They have I, and I don't what know what they. they I don't know what during the seven year I, period. Kohler is a heating and air conditioning company. I thought right. it was anyway. Um, it is. Was it an auto parts company? Maybe, maybe I don't know why they uh, they were striking Kohler. Class warfare, the longest strike. Uh, Followed him four more years of legal skirmishing and turned into a remarkable victory for the union and the national labor movement. It was, then, uh, it was centered in Sheboygan, which is a funny name for a town, uh, just on the shores of Lake Michigan. Kohler uh, produced bathroom and it began as a company, I mean, they make bathroom and fixtures. Yeah, so I'm not sure exactly what it. The average strike, though, you think this is, looks nasty. And I, I, I certainly don't take any. Uh, satisfaction in it, and I hope I hope that it, it ends quickly and everybody gets something of, of what they want. But it's been a long time, and it's it's kind of uh, I don't know. I can't look away really from it. And if it if it gets even more widespread on Friday, there's a lot of political implications for it, and a lot of a lot of things that have been under the surface for about ten years. Yeah, look, the like. the auto companies have a unique situation because of what happened back in two thousand and seven when they were under so much pressure, and the unions agreed to step up to the table and take some cuts. But this is really indicative of what's happening around the country with labor prices right now. We right. talk about the Hollywood strikes. I don't know if you've seen doctors um, in California at. Kaiser Permanente, I think, authorized 98% for a strike if they don't reach some sort of settlements, too. So it's, it's hitting yeah. into industries it didn't before, into professions it didn't before. Um, follows UPS, follows what we've seen in a lot of different industries. And this is, again, one of the problems with inflation when wages, wage increases, don't keep up with price inflation. This uh, Time magazine actually adds those legal wrangling. They say the longest strike, 1954 to 1965. So they say 11 years. But then I think more classically, this, what did you say, 1946, 113 uh, Maybe it wasn't 46. It was, 50, maybe 40, it was 55 to 56. It was something back in the 40s or 50s, and it was 114 days. I'd have to look up to see again where but it was it was a long time ago because the longest in modern history has been a much shorter time period than that and that was only three and a half months it's shorter than what the writers have now been on strike but you you you've, we haven't really seen unions with this type of uh, moxie in, in a while and in the, the kind of commentary from sean fain that we're seeing the, is the the commentary from sean workers fain, I think unite is what, yeah what harry wilson was talking about just that this is he's now made it kind of an act of God situation, and it's hard to reach. Biblical him, passages, yeah. Right. But that's what's happened with the, I actually think the rhetoric from them is no different than, I actually think it's less from than the what nanny. you see from, no, from what you heard from the writers. Oh, oh yeah. not the, the nanny. The writers, yeah. it feels sure. like you can see where they get to something. Like, and, and granted, they've been on strike for a lot longer, but I, you're oh. starting to see. Oh, I'll bet money that, that, I'll bet money this, this ends sooner than, than the, the writers, writers does. Strike? Absolutely. Because it's an easier, and I think this is all about the money. I mean, obviously, it's all about the money, but I think you can look it's at... not just the money. No, but you can look at where executive comp has gone during this period. This is what it is. Yeah, but to if me, they go back to a 32-hour work week, the problem is Sean Fain has now talked us to a point where even if they come up on the money, it's not going to be Did enough. Did you see what, what, what Jim Farley says they're asking for now? It's, it equates to $300,000 a year, he says. Elon Musk says that X, formerly known as Twitter, is moving to subscription fees. In a live-streamed interview with the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Musk said that the social network is moving to having a small monthly payment for use of the X system in order to try and combat vast armies of bots. 
Musk didn't say how much a new plan would cost users. He also divulged some new metrics for X, saying that it now has 550 million monthly users who generate 100 to 200 million posts a day. Uh, getting rid of bots is one thing. You can imagine that trying to turn a profit is another point in trying to do this. It was first What's the number? check marks. What's the number a month? Well, what, what is you it mean? What's he going to have to charge a month? What do you think? And then I want to ask you about what, how much Katie, bucks. how much Katy Perry sold her catalog for? Because they don't put that either. What do you think it was worth? Two bucks. Oh, the no, no Katy I, Perry. No, for on the money piece, it's almost just like any money would do it. I know, but that might but be enough question, for me to, to not do it. And then the question is, would you pay fifty cents? Would you pay? Here's the issue. And he said, fifty yes. cents, it won't be though. What do you, don't you think it'll be five bucks? I think it'll be two. No, no, two no. bucks. Yeah. I think the, but I think the issue, as he said yesterday, which is if AI can just start an account, yeah. right, literally start an account, and, you know, now we have play with all these ridiculous games right. with CAPTCHA where it says, you know, show me, you know, the horse upside down or this, and you have to... Show me where the, the cars are. The AI can do that. It's not... I flunked some of those you, tests. You flunked some, flunk some of those. The AI like can find do the that. traffic light. It's right. like, that's a... The AI can do that <laughs> as well as we can do it, if not better than we can right. do it. So once that actually is true, if it's not already true, what could you possibly do except start charging people money and making it actually okay. expensive to Maybe do? Maybe I'll it? do it then. But you that's think why it, I think, you think it's honestly, too bucks. But you think honestly? that's why it is? You think it's you the it's, bots, or you think it's that the advertisers aren't not there? Not fifteen as bucks said in the past. Not like no, I think the advertising is a whole other component. Like part. we need to find a way to no, make this he profitable. Needs to, he need, yes, but I don't think it has anything to do with the the bot issue. And the advertising issue, I don't think, are in the same oh, well, I know. conversation. So do you think the charge, if it's a fee for everybody, would be as little as 50 cents? Or is this something that's going to be two ninety-nine, five bucks? I think it's... Because if, if it's really I don't, just I don't think it's an effort for a profit. Person. I think that the question is, what is it... I mean, I, you know what the answer is? The answer is whatever American Express, MasterCard, and Visa... What, what is the lowest number that you can charge without it actually costing you something? So there's a minimum cost. But then you do it for a year. Like, if you say it's going to be five bucks for the year. Right. And that that's would, it. Right. But we're not going to charge you a high monthly fee or any of those right, things. That's what I'm it's saying. not going to incrementally so maybe, go up. I assume that's how, how you do it, though. You Meaning as long as it's, it could be a buck. If it's 30 cents, it's probably cost you too much money to do. So, so that's you why you do it on an annualized basis rather than a monthly. Maybe. So but you might have to do a monthly. Unless tell you me about Katie, to. Hurry, tell no, me about Katy Perry. So just, to keep, just to keep you on um, from, a, from being a bot. They might actually make you do it every month to keep you from being a bot. Tell me about Katy Perry. They have to keep charging I have all you. Kinds, I have all kinds of stuff that I do on an annualized basis. All right, we're not getting anywhere. Tell me, tell me about Katy Perry. How much do you think? How, didn't like McCartney got like a billion or something or, or Beatles? And then right. Justin Timberlake, what, got like a quarter or something? I mean, people, yeah, what, what, what do you, I want to know. How much did she get? A hundred, do you think? Would you give her a hundred? How, how much would Taylor Swift be worth? A lot. Oh, a lot. A couple of billion, probably. Um, do we have anything? We don't, do we? Former Squawk episodes? Or is there anything we could sell? Any library of any kind that people would pay for? Probably about what we pay for the monthly Twitter <laughs> thing? 50, 50. Maybe what do you think, much. Katy Perry? Seriously, uh, $100 million? Less? No, I'd go with more. Would you really? Yeah. See, I would do that if I was an artist. I mean, who cares who owns it, right? Get that in the bank. Get some Paul interest. Taylor, she would disagree with you. Yes. Right. Scooter. Scooter on. All right. Cheese will be next. And get the best of Squawk Box. Maybe we can sell some of the pods or something in the library. Katy Perry got two and a quarter? 225 for her. That's a lot of money. If you can get it, it is. Uh, we're expecting less for the Squawk Pods. But it is. Uh, listen to Speak us. for yourself. Yeah, on your favorite podcast app and listen anytime. 
Still to come, can the grocery delivery company deliver returns? We're diving into the Instacart IPO with one of its early investors, Alexis Ohanian. To us, it just feels like, hey, someone showed up with the groceries I wanted. There's a lot more technology that happens in order to guide folks around the store, do things like managing and keep the inventory up to date. There, there's a lot more nuance behind the scenes. And I think that technology itself has a tremendous amount of value. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. And welcome back to Squawk Pod on an IPO day. We've got Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Joe. Let's talk Instacart. It's at the high end of the range, but a quarter of what it was worth at one point during a round. Uh, making its public debut today. Last night, the company priced its IPO at the top end of the range. Leslie Picker joins us now with more. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, this is a company that's used to delivering groceries, now in the process of delivering shares. Instacart pricing its IPO at the high end, as you mentioned, of a boosted range, giving the company a valuation of $9.9 billion. It's been a long road for the grocery delivery service, which filed an S1 confidentially 16 months ago. But when the market took a turn amid higher interest rates, a sell-off in tech stocks, Instacart put its deal on ice. According to the term set last night, Instacart will go public at a quarter of the valuation it received in a private round two years ago. But it's still raising more than $423 million from the offering. Selling shareholders will get $237 million. On a relative value standpoint, Instacart is going public at less than four times sales. That's about average for most IPO cycles, excluding the most recent peak back in 2020-2021 when the median multiple was 10 times, according to Goldman Sachs. While it's currently profitable, Instacart faces competition from large grocery chains developing their own digital uh, and fulfillment, as well as externally from the likes of Amazon and Uber and DoorDash, to name a few. So we'll see how the market sizes up these risk factors against the prospects of a profitable, growing company at a discounted valuation when Instacart starts trading about oh, six or seven hours from now, guys. Are you a, are you a user of any of these services, Leslie? I, I'm a new user. I'm a you new are. user. I actually tried during the pandemic, oh. and I couldn't get any time slots because it was so... Uh, so crazy. But, I not only don't um, use these no, people, I, I do my own checkouts. So I'm, I've gone the other way. I not only go to the store <laughs> almost every day, but I do my own checkouts and, and load my own, pack my own bag. So I, That's I, I a went skill. the opposite. Are you, so, do you use it? I've That's used it. Um, I had Instacart Plus through, it was a free actually, through uh, the American Express Platinum Card for hmm. a period of time. You're only platinum? Isn't there like it was a, a chase card? Isn't there a cobalt, whatever it was. super duper? It was a chase card that gave it out for free. 
the truth was I stopped using it. I had too many problems along the way, meaning... With the service? Yeah, you'd put an order in, they'd, they'd cancel it on you, or you'd ask for tw six items and they'd give you three, or it was, it's just because they're basically using, you know, it's a a, a random it's a people shopper. to go out and go get it, and then they don't really know what the true inventory is at the supermarket on that given you day. You get the same thing when you use so, any of the services, like at Target, because that, you never have a, an accurate set up for what the inventory right. in the store is. It's moving as it goes. The question I had for Leslie, though, was just when you look at the growth piece of this, this story, there's a question mark about the, the core business, whether that's obviously not continuing to grow at the, at the pace that they'd want. But how connected those pieces are ultimately to the advertising piece and ultimately to the enterprise piece that's powering the sort of open table style business uh, behind the scenes for, for other markets? Or supermarkets, I should yeah, say. Yeah, it's a good question. Because their they're GTV, as you point out, um, they're, they're basically the amount of transactions that's taking place on their platform, that's growing at about a 4% clip, which is well below their revenue growth of about 31%. The reason behind that is because there's so much growth in advertising, which is something that the company has been pivoting toward um, advertising as another source of revenue, kind of diversifying right. away from you know just purely being a delivery service. Um, but obviously those go hand in hand. People, if they're not checking out- uh, If you're not the using the app, platform, you can't sell advertising advertising is not gonna be Exactly. It's not going to be as, as important and it's not going to be as much of a growth driver. So they absolutely go hand in hand. Advertising coming off of a smaller base, so its impact on revenue right now, very strong. But there are certainly questions about just the overall co competitive dynamic for this, this app, this platform, and, and its use as a delivery service as well. You, you were using something. Well, I use I used Instacart too. No, but you were using ship, something else. But I also use Fresh Direct, and I use Fresh. No, something else. The, I, I have a lot that I use. Target has the shoppers who will go get them. I've seen the day. trucks around. It, 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 I remember during the pandemic, I was wiping down every. I got it myself. Oh, but the, I was, the, the, it was the grocer delivery yeah. guy that delivers food to the restaurants here, and they pivoted right. when there were nobody eating at restaurants. I, I have a lot of these services that I use. They're I all very helpful. Did. Grocery delivery services are helpful for consumers, but are they helpful for investors seeking return? That's the big question today for those of us watching the Instacart IPO. Investors who got in early, like our next guest, have been waiting anywhere from 8 to 10 years for an exit and a return on their initial investments. Alexis Ohanian, a co-founder of Reddit and now a venture capitalist, got into the grocery delivery business around 2015. And a few years later, he joined our team on the Squawk Box set to explain why the demand for a service like Instacart was here to stay. Instacart's a great position because now they're kind of like the Switzerland to work with the other 98% of the grocery business in America. By the way, my understanding on Instacart mm -hmm. is that they just signed a deal several months ago mm -hmm. with Whole Foods mm -hmm. for five years. Mm -hmm. How is that going to get changed or not? As I mean, would Amazon buy them out of that deal? What do you think is going to happen here? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question for Apoorva, the CEO of Instacart. Um, but I think my, my bet is on the fact that this has been a wake-up call to every other grocer that they need to be able to offer this kind of technology so that was early Instacart investor Alexis Ohanian back in 2017 talking about a shakeup in the grocery sector. Today, Instacart is headed to the public markets, pricing at $30 a share. And joining us is the very same Alexis Ohanian. He's the founder of venture firm 776, the co-founder of Reddit, of course, frequent guest here on Squawk Box. 
Um, Okay, you were right, because there were so many questions being asked at that point about whether Whole Foods' Amazon deal was going to take out Instacart completely. Mm. That's what people thought at the time. Um, didn't happen. So now what? Well, you know, this is also very humbling seeing that and realizing how much more gray hair I have. Uh, but <laughs> that was before the Reddit turnaround, so, so be it. But what was so exciting was Apoorva, uh, who is the founder and CEO, had this original vision 10 years ago of creating a really efficient way, not just to do the shopping, but all the back-end logistics, everything else, as well as a vision for higher margin things like advertising. And I think going forward, we're gonna to start to see this really unlock. So many consumers are now making their decision, not wandering down an aisle, getting an impulse buy because of some end cap. They're making that decision based on what they're seeing on their phone in Instacart, and I, I think it presents an interesting revenue opportunity going forward. So Alexis, you were an early investor. I think it was Series C, which went at about $13.31. Oh, yeah, um, it's a good time so to invest. You are in the money because this is now coming out at $30. They've been raising the price range over the last week, week and a half or so, but that still only values the firm at $10 billion versus the $39 billion it would have been valued at a couple of years ago at the last round. There were mm -hmm. other investors who were angry that they, they didn't go public at that time. The same time you saw DoorDash and Airbnb going out. What happened, and as an investor, how do you feel about it? Well, look, this is why I love early stage investing, because when you invest in the first round, these sorts of things become much less uh, sort of crucial to making the return. Like, I think every company in this space saw a huge lift during COVID. They saw a huge bump because so many of us were, were in many ways forced to start doing our shopping or food ordering, what have you, online. There was a huge premium, just like this other ZERP premiums that we saw. Things are coming back down to earth. And I think at the end of the day, Instacart is setting itself up now for success in this world, the post-COVID world, where it knows there are gonna need to be these higher margin revenue streams and, and where I think they can still build a very robust business. I don't wanna Monday morning quarterback it. They're going public today. It's exciting. This is you know a decade plus of, of you great work. You intend to hold the shares? So one of the things we do as a matter of policy is we actually distribute to all of our LPs. That's so it's up to them to choose their own adventure. Um, but, what about you personally? Uh, for me personally, it depends if my wife wants another house. I don't know. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I'm not a public markets investor. I got some really good advice from Fred Wilson early in my career. I think she right. can buy any house she wants. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> got I, nothing I to do with your house. I know, I know. Yeah. But very, very good point. A good answer, though. I... <laughs> but the right I, answer. The right I, answer. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay right. married another six years. Right. Uh, I think well, the reason I ask is there's a number of big venture capital firms that look like they're selling mm. today as part of this. So I think a lot of the folks who look at this and say, well, Pepsi's coming in, but all these other guys are going out. Mm. How am I supposed to look at that as a long-term play? It, it, it might have been a very good investment 10 years ago. The question is, is it a good investment today, which is for a lot of people who are watching this, the first time they would even have the opportunity to invest in it. Right. So that one admittedly is a bit above my pay grade. You know, so much of, and this was good advice from Fred Wilson, who's a legend in the space on the early stage investing side. You know, we are holding this investment for a decade. So, so when you're waiting for right. liquidity for 10 years, there's much more of an instinct to say, okay, well, let me at least get a good chunk of return on this for waiting this long. Here in the public markets, we'll see, uh, but I feel so confident in the technology they've built. This is more than just the app that you see, right? There is so much more logistics on the back end, and I'm happy I got to come here and look right from that clip six years ago, in part because every other grocer in the country realized they needed to adapt and partner in some way because this is the user experience people want. And user experience tends to win long term.
I mean, the, the questions being raised today, just like there were being questions, uh, questions that were raised when you were here in 2017, today it's DoorDash is now mm. uh, having hundreds of thousands, well, I think they added 100,000 non-restaurant um, partners, and a lot of those are grocery stores. So they're going after the business too. And then the question becomes, when you have inflation on the rise, groceries more expensive, if the economy is turning down at some point, will consumers still pay, pay a premium to have somebody else shop for their groceries? These are valid concerns for sure. I know the, even just speaking as an individual user, the value prop of Instacart got way more compelling once I had my first kid. And even now with a one month old at home, the ability to be able to scroll through and say, hey, it's Tuesday, let's get tacos, or I just want some ice cream. Like the, the, whether it's the impulse buy or the necessity, if I just need this now, um, that has power, that has value, and I think the market's going to keep showing that there are needs for this. They're going to get fulfilled by folks uh, at a price point that, that the, makes sense. The, the question, though, I'd add to that, though, is it's what is the growth path for this company? And if the growth issue is the advertising piece mm. or even the enterprise side piece, which is where so much of the money has come from, mm. they're all connected, meaning if you're not using, mm. I'm not, I, I unfortunately am not using the app nearly as much as I used to which means that I'm not able to, I'm not, I'm not an eyeball for the advertising. Mm. So you can't sell me more advertising. And it's unclear, and then on the enterprise side, it's a similar, similar story, maybe a little bit less so. So that I think is the sort of larger question mark over this company. Well, and I can say I don't have inside information, but the right. way I think about it and the things that intrigue me, we talk about advertising, um, it, it's interesting. I was shocked to learn how big of a brand Kirkland was, uh, you know, even bigger than Nike. And I think distribution, if we've learned anything, distribution really matters. Instacart has a tremendous relationship with the people buying their groceries, whatever those needs are. And I can think of a myriad of ways that they start to then capture even more uh, of that attention and that value by saying, hey, we have our own line of products, we have other things. I think increasingly, the same way that end cap used to be really valuable storefront in a supermarket, there's, there's prime placement there to be able to show a customer exactly what they need exactly the right time in a way that, you know, in a couple taps, gets them what they need. I, I think there's, there's some enduring qualities to that, but uh, right. like you well, pointed out. What was the time. original, so the, in the early round that you were yeah. participating in, what was the valuation? At I that think time? it was eight million, uh, all told. Eight million? Yeah. I that think was it was 1331 for that, for 1331 a share, now it's at 30. Right. So. so that's over 10 years. This is, you've had much better returns, Terms. I guess. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's. You're, so you're kind of glad, uh, when you said it's nice to finally get this You're glad to get some. Yeah, they've been glad, glad to get your I glad mean, to get I, your money out. I can't at, stress at, this at, enough. At the, like this started this this original pitch when it came to Y Combinator. Apoorva wrote the code of the app. He was doing. He had scraped the local Safeway website in Silicon Valley for all the products. He was doing the delivery and the the picking of items all right. himself. And, and by but the way, he doesn't drive, so he was taking Uber. For an, to uh, for, yeah, Alexa, the IRR is probably one of your worst investments. <laughs> would you think? Well, oh no. From, well, it's less about the IRR and more about the ultimate. Uh, returns here. I mean, you can. But but uh, we don't know. You won't tell us if you're going to hold on or not at this point. We're going to distribute all of our shares. So LPs are going to get. Right. But return. you personally. Oh, me personally. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll probably take some off the table. Like I said, get my wife. Let me ask you a separate question, just because you understand the business very well. Yeah. The defensibility of, for example, some of these relationships, like you were talking about the Kirkland brand and some mm -hmm. of these other things. At some point, and this is where. If, if, I was on the, if I was on the negative side and trying to just look through all of the, the pieces, I'd say to myself, could DoorDash or Uber or somebody else go to many or some of these retailers mm -hmm. and there become some kind of auction 
effectively, mm -hmm. for who's going to become either the exclusive provider or they're going to open it up to other providers thinking they're going to have more access. How defensible are those relationships and how defensible is that a function of the fact that they're now using the Instacart enterprise side on the other end to defend that? And does that work long term too? Or, and is that an open platform or not? It, it could be. There is, there is a, a, a tremendous amount of technology that goes into, it, you know, it, to us it just feels like, hey, someone showed up with the groceries I wanted. Right. There's a lot more technology that happens in order to guide folks around the store, do things like managing and keep the inventory up to date. There, there's a lot more nuance behind the scenes. And I think that, that technology itself has a tremendous amount of value. This is a low margin business, but built on software from the very start, which obviously right. finds ways to Why do you think scale. nobody's bought this company? There may have been some conversations. Right. No, I'm sure there were. Questions words. for the M&A folks. Um, I don't know. Alexis, let me ask you very quickly mm -hmm. just about the, the market overall for IPOs. Because mm -hmm. as a VC, this is what you wait for, for the IPO market to open up again. Is that what it feels like right now after ARM last week, after a number of other IPOs coming? Or I, is it too soon to say? Yeah, I want to tell you yes, but I think it is too soon to say, for sure. There, there's still this kind of unease. And among my peers, I think we're all, on the one hand, looking forward to seeing the IPO market opening up and seeing the economy really get roaring again. But I think realistically, we're tempered and, and still feeling a little uncertain about where things are going. So uh, we'll see. Obviously, folks were happy to see how ARM went out, um, and we'll see how Instacart does. And again, just grateful. So many people have worked so hard for the last decade, and it's great to see them get their hard work validated today. Alexis, thanks for coming in. Congratulations Thank on you. the new baby. And, uh, yes. uh, the most important launch. Exactly. Yes. That's the best. Thank you. Here, here. <laughs> Next on Squawk Pod, hack attacks. Clorox, the latest company to face a cyber attack disrupting operations. Security expert Kevin Mandia is coming up. You can look at the victim companies and say, could they have done more? Every single company could always do more security, but it's hard to pitch a perfect game every single day. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by Joe and his mic cue. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box uh, here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site uh, in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Seems like we're always either on the day where we're waiting for the next day for the Fed to do something or on the day the Fed is going to do something there. We, or on a jobs report day. Or on a jobs report day. But, uh, man, the Fed, a big part of our life, and that, that's what we're going to be talking about quite a bit more. Uh, we'll expected to, to have no uh, hike tomorrow, but the outlook will be... Um, Noteworthy, however Jay Powell characterizes our, uh, the current state of the economy and, and uh, what's going to happen with interest rates. FBI Director Christopher Wray said that the federal government is relying more than ever on private sector support to try and ensure that U.S. infrastructure remains secure. Speaking at Mandiant's MWISE conference in Washington, Ray said that it has become increasingly difficult to discern where criminal cyber, cyber criminal activity ends and adversarial nation-state activity begins. His comments come after recent high-profile attacks on Caesars and MGM casinos 
and an attack on Clorox that the company now says will have a material impact on earnings. Joining us right now to talk about all of this is Kevin Mandia. He's the CEO of Mandiant, which is a cybersecurity firm that's a subsidiary of Google. He's also previously the CEO of FireEye. And Kevin, it's been a while since we've gotten to talk to you, but there is a, a lot of activity lately. Why don't we just start with the casinos themselves? Because it mm -hmm. looks like it was one group that attacked both of them. Sure. They did it um, in, in part by being able to access employees' secure passwords and ways mm -hmm. to get onto the network. What, what happened? Well, I can tell you what happened. This is a group that's been exceptionally active. They've compromised over 100 organizations in the last year. We get inbound calls from victims all the time. And what happened is basically social engineering. You know, help desks want to help people. And the, when they do that, these folks are calling in and they're doing ruses and guises and getting passwords reset so they can access networks. And they're also doing something called SIM swapping, where they get one-time passwords texted to their phone. So these folks are, meaning the attackers, are very clever. They're very good at what they do. And quite frankly, they're able to break in because they're breaking human trust. They're getting people to trust them. So that concerns me on a lot of levels. First of mm -hmm. all, that I'll probably never be able to get help from the help desk again. But right. from a more broad company perspective, is this a situation where MGM and Caesars had bad security, where Clorox had bad security, or is this simply a situation of there, but for the grace of God, go every other company? Well, I can tell you this group's breaking in. They are successful. So you can look at the victim companies and say, could they have done more? Every single company could always do more security, but it's hard to pitch a perfect game every single day. We're not used to threat actors that are this good at social engineering. And I can tell you right now, it's, it is going to change the way help desks work. It's changed the way our help desk works. You have to start using FaceTime or video confirmation of who you're talking to so you can see the face, understand the person and say, yes, I can reset that password. That really is Kevin Mandy at the other end of the phone. So unfortunately, that's kind of the state of how things are going. And we're also going to have to change using SMS or text messaging mm -hmm. as a multi-factor to our authentication. So it gets more and more complicated. The cat and mouse game continues. What, yep. what Christopher Ray said yesterday is particularly alarming, mm -hmm. though, the idea that we are not even able as a, as a government to protect our infrastructure. We are relying more and more on private industry to do that. Are we up to the task? Well, we have to be up to the task, and we are up to the task. This is not anything new in reality. We have a cyber domain that is primarily the private sector and critical infrastructure and systemically important entities are primarily privately run, privately held. So you have to have a private and public partnership and play team ball to defend the nation in the cyber domain. What, uh, how much worse is it than, than it used to be? I feel like this is a threat we've been talking yeah. about for, for decades at this point. Um, yes. Clorox just coming out this week and saying, mm -hmm. yeah, this is going to be a material impact. We don't know exactly how big, but we know we need to start letting you know that this is an issue. Well, there's more threat actors. There's more malware. There's more break-ins. At the same time frame, we're actually getting better on defense. The challenge and why you hear about it is over the last few decades, you know, 20 years ago, somebody broke in. There was some impact. Today, based on our reliance on technology and how we run our businesses, when there's a cyber intrusion, the impact is far more grave 
and far more impactful on our business and on our people. And so that's why you're reading about it and hearing about it. Defense is getting better. Unfortunately, so is offense. I know that this is an issue in a lot of boardrooms, that this is a discussion Mm -hmm. that comes up as one of their biggest concerns. You said no matter what happens, you can never pitch a perfect game. So does that mean no matter how much you're spending, you're not spending enough on on defense, on cybersecurity? Or, look, there's a limit to everything. What's best practices? What can you do? Well, I can tell you when you have a modern cyber defense, what I mean by you can't pitch a perfect game is prevention does fail over time. And I know people don't like to hear that, but that's just the reality. So you prepare for that. You assume breach at an organization. You assume you're going to lose a user account and passphrase. You assume on defense that your help desk will get socially engineered to provide a password to somebody else. And you build defenses that catch the intruders after they obtain a beachhead. It's been proven for the last 25 years. You know, there's a thing called zero day attacks attacks that do not have a patch, they are gonna work. Today, year to date, we've already responded to 63 different zero-day attacks in the wild. That's like three to four times more than the norm. That's, the positive of that is attackers need zero days now to break in, meaning we're shutting the front doors to our networks. The bad thing about that is the beachheads are still available because we're all adopting technology faster than our means to secure it. Kevin, let me just ask you, if this happens to a company, I know the phraseology that everybody uses, you don't negotiate with terrorists, you you don't pay them the ransom. Mm -hmm. But if you don't pay them the ransom, you're probably talking about not getting your system back. And that can be a pretty, pretty big deal. What do you actually tell companies when they say, what do I do? Well, you know what? We don't opine whether you should pay or not. I can tell you this. I have not met a CEO right in the first inning of the intrusion response says, boy, we're going to pay this. Nobody wants to pay it. Start with that. That's kind of been the default answer. And less and less people, from my experience, are in fact paying ransoms. A lot of the intrusions we're responding to right now, though, there isn't a ransom ask. The intrusions are done for influence, for power, for, you know, when it's not espionage and it's criminal, sometimes it's really just for the fame of doing it and for the disruption that it causes. Oh, boy. Kevin, yeah. thank you. Uh, we appreciate your time, even though it may make us a little more nervous around the, around the fray. Thank you. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. You can tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and get the smartest takes, analysis, interviews, news you can use from our TV show right in your ears when you follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.